Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to a, uh, a new episode of, of Energy Bites. I'm going to mix up our, our intro here. Rad Dad John Calfan is here with my faithful co-host, Bobby Nealon. What's hey, going on? How you doing? Doing great. Survived Nape Week. I know you're. I just went to. I went to, went to one party. Went to Quorum's party. Hey, that was it. But uh, I heard it. I, there were some pretty crazy parties from what I. Uh, yeah, I was just hanging out with Jeremy Funk. So we, we kept we kept it pretty, pretty yeah. chill. Well, then, yeah, the frat conference was earlier this week as well. Busy week uh, in the energy space. Today we've got George Danner, founder of Business Laboratory. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's we good were, to be here. We were just talking about kind of how we have this weird. It's not weird, just happenstance. But one of the first people I met when I moved to Houston was ends up being George's daughter. And then I don't even know how many years later that was, probably five, six years later, we end up, Bobby and I, when we were working together, doing a consulting project, looking for software developers. And the, one of the first companies we met with was George. And I was like, wait a minute, you, are you happen to be uh, related to Star? Yeah, it's my daughter. <laughs> small world. She's the famous one. For yeah. uh, for how big Houston is, right? Mm -hmm. It's still a very small community, but I'm glad to to have you here. So that was the first time kind of we originally met back in the day. And it's, <laughs> I also noticed another coincidence about that is that same day uh, we met, I vividly remember uh, Bitcoin crashing and me being very disappointed and hard to uh, <laughs> focus on the meeting because I had my my Bitcoin chart up on the uh, on the monitor today. Bitcoin is up; it just broke through. It's but even that that year was when it went 45. up to yeah, it went no. up to twenty by December. So. Mm -hmm. That was another happening year, and here we are back at another happening, and prices keep going up. So that's <laughs> another fun coincidence. But we'll get we'll get into it. Thanks for coming on. You've got a awesome kind of swath of experience, especially related on the energy and tech side. Um, but you know, as we, we like to do, we like to ask people kind of just, how did you, you know, originally get into technology? Were you taking stuff apart? You know, you and I are both mechanical engineers, so I'm, I assume you've probably broken a few things, uh, in your, in your lifetime. Still do. And so yeah, <laughs> tell everybody kind of how you got into that, how you got into, you know, the, the tech space and or the energy space and kind of up to where you're at today. With yeah, sure. Park. So, uh, I grew up, uh, not far from where we're recording this now down in Texas city, Texas okay. on the, on the coast. Uh, my dad was director of engineering at Monsanto, uh, one of the 19 petrochemical plants that, uh, that are around there. So, uh, I think s something that I breathed over the years of living down there <laughs> maybe caused me to, uh, acclimate to the energy industry, but my, my dad was an engineer and he imparted, he and my mom both imparted on me this sort of fascination with, with problem solving. I went, uh, went to school and became a mechanical engineer. And my first assignment was, or first decade and a half of my career was as a factory automation engineer. And when, when you do that role, you parachute into a factory and you size it up, you, you walk it back and forth, you figure out all the machinery and the machines and the pipes and everything that connects that factory together. You figure out how it runs and then you try to figure out how to make it run better with software. Uh, so I did that work for a long time. I loved it. Uh, I, I was, I saw chemical plants, paper plants, semiconductor plants, diaper plants, uh, just about everything that you can imagine that can be made I, I witnessed, uh, had a front row seat on that and loved that work. But, uh, that was probably an interesting time too, as far as like with technology specifically, right? Because that's kind of the early evolution. Yeah. I was going to say what, what kind of technologies or uh, you said software, I mean, what kind of stuff was being leveraged at that point? Yeah. So that, that, that's a really good observation. I graduated in 83 with my undergrad. So this is sort of like 
early 80s through the mid 90s. And uh, we were very much into distributed control systems and factory automation. Um, they used this term lights out factory back then. They don't use that as much anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a lot of programmable logic controllers, PLCs, okay. which are, of course are still around. Lots of sensors. They aren't as good as the sensors we have today. They weren't wireless either. Right. Um, so we we were we were dealing essentially with fairly crude technology. Yeah. We we went back in time and go, oh, that's yeah, super yeah, relative primitive. now, I guess. But, man, yeah, but time we, was cutting edge. I was exactly. going to say we thought it was amazing. But you yeah. were replacing what somebody doing it by hand, clipboards or, you know, and, yeah, and yeah, paper all and, and all of that. So we thought it was a super exciting yeah. time. It was the age of the personal computer, right? As well, which started to come into play when we were looking at factory automation. So it was a very exciting time. We were, we were essentially reinventing yeah. manufacturing back then. Uh, lots of fun. And that was sort of the, the birth as well of uh, methods like lean principles mm -hmm. and Six Sigma that, that conflated with the idea of right. using automation and technology. Um, I absolutely love that work. And in a sense, I do some of that work today, which I'll get to in a moment. But, uh, I, I then got the itch to go back to business school. Uh, I went back to to get my my MBA. I went to MIT Sloan School at MIT, and um, and it's a funny school. It, they teach their business curriculum as if it were an engineering or scientific hmm. discipline. They they don't really make a distinction sure. between business school and chemistry or physics. It's all problem solving, yeah. and I loved that. So. Uh, it was there I really honed skills in simulation modeling. I really discovered th this idea that we can take a complicated system that we observe and recreate it in the computer. You know, nowadays we have this catchy term called digital twins. Uh, but back then it was just simulation. Right. Just can we take a, a, a system that we want to understand? And that could be a, comp a company. It could be the climate. It yeah. could be a stock market. It could be... It could be large or small, but we really want to get good insight as to how a particular system behaves by recreating it. So I learned at MIT all the tools and techniques for, for doing that, that digital recreation. So when I left MIT, I went to work at Arthur Anderson in their consulting side, not the audit side. And our job there again was to make businesses better and faster and mm -hmm. cheaper by any means necessary. So they would come to us, these companies, with a, 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 a problem. Yep. And they would say, should I merge with this company? Should I add this product line? Should I do this, that, or the other? And um, our, our team's answer was, we don't know. Right. Uh, but we'll find out. So we would bring the company, if you will, into a laboratory-like environment. And we would test it. You know, what, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try these two in combination with each other. And then once we learned in that laboratory environment what would work, mm -hmm. then we could layer that with confidence onto the real world. Uh, so that was that was part of my work at at Arthur Anderson, um, and uh, shortly before Arthur Anderson uh, got embroiled in the Enron scandal, which oh took the entire firm down, very sad time. Uh, I left and started my own company that was called Industrial Science. And I was determined to go out into the world and, and just solve hard problems. And I did that for uh, six years until my company was bought by an entrepreneur out of Austin who wanted to take some of my simulation software and 
folded into his platform that he was building. And so I stayed on a little while to help them get that going. And then after that, I started my current firm, Business Laboratory. And what we do day in and day out is sit by the phone, phone rings, and somebody on the other end of the line in some weird part of the world with some crazy exotic problem is telling us, I got this problem and I need you to help solve it. So our reason for being is solving math problems. You know, our, our, our clients don't necessarily call them math <clears throat> problems. Yeah, right? Right. Just say, I've got some business challenge yeah. or whatever. But at the end of the day, um, when you are figuring out how to make a company better through data, you're solving math problems. Yeah. So we have tried to be as good as we can be in both building mathematical models that are helpful in that regard, but also explaining yeah. the underlying truth in those models through visualization. Yeah. So we put a lot of work into visualizing our models. A lot of our models look like video games, quite yeah. frankly, and we use video game technology to do that. We could talk about that some more. Um, but um, I have the best job in the world because I get to fly around the world and look at all these companies and 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 help them with their most challenging problems and write about it. You know, I wrote two, two books along the way. Profit from Science, I wrote in 2018 um, about the work that we do. And in, excuse me, that was 2015. And in 2018, I wrote a second book called The Executive's How-To Guide to automation. Automation is kind of the second cousin of, of analytics. Um, so it's been a, it's been a fun journey. It's been fun writing about it. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun doing the work. I still do the work. I still write code today, yeah, believe it or not. That's awesome. And it's just, it's just the, the best possible job in the world. I've got a question because I've, I've had this hypothesis for a while as someone who's worked with five, six startups now. Um, I feel my hypothesis has always been that most people think their problems are unique, but generally speaking, regardless of the industry or the business, business, businesses have the same problems, right? They're trying to optimize for something or they're trying to increase revenue, increase profit, decrease cost or expense, et cetera. And so like you, every industry has their own nuance and their mm -hmm. own kind of constraints and variables that you have to play with. But I'm very curious because I know you have a variety of uh, experience across a variety of industries. Do you think like, would you say that that's generally true or do you see like, uh, do you see it being a lot more complex and dynamic in the actual real world as far as like, obviously there are nuances and limitations across every type, right? But like, for example, the last startup I worked with was a edge computing company their initial strategy was wide and shallow to figure out which market was most interested of course edge being new and all of that but you know for example energy in my opinion would it is one of the hardest industries to kind of break into and also have a proven to do work in in that space understanding that it's not a plant where it's stationary and you have dedicated internet you probably have your own dedicated fiber line you have your own backup generators and power and all this stuff whereas it's like no it's a rig that can literally pick up and move every two weeks and may or may not have internet connectivity and has to be you know h2s environments and class one div one and all of these certifications or you know in a plant it's like there's a lot different you know you don't have all of those kind of communication restrictions but there's other compliance mm -hmm. issues and stuff. but even in the, say in the plant you probably have 
just more right sensor there's, you know, like there's a lot there's a lot of nuances yeah. right but at the same time you're still trying to automate a process or use iot to pull data to then train a model that then ultimately automates or, or does inform, something right ultimately inform a decision then right, right. I mean, well, uh, not only are you correct in your your thesis there, John, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a story from my own experience that was very stark that brought this home. I was uh, up in the Philadelphia area with a pharmaceutical firm, and they were dealing with the subject of risk uh, around their drug pipeline. Mm -hmm. And they said, gosh, you know, we got these 300 compounds, you know, and they're, they're at various stages in the FDA cycle. And, you know, what money do we put in what, what compound mm -hmm. you don't always put, put it into the leading horse. Right. Sometimes you put it into the horse that's, you know, three legs behind, um, you know, how do, how do we systematically deal right. with the risk in our, uh, drug portfolio pipeline? And so I, I was helping them with build a model of their pipeline so that mm -hmm. they could, they could do that. The literally the next day I flew back home to Houston, got, uh, into a conversation with somebody in a in a super major um who was dealing with um something like 1100 wells in a basin in north america and um you know which wells do do we and in what sequence do we develop mm -hmm. the different geologies different right. permitting and, mm -hmm. and so forth and i thought oh my god this is exactly same the problem. same problem yeah. So what, what you said there, John, was right. There, there's these sort of like nuances right. that get in the way that tell us, oh, this is a very different problem right. than what you would find in the pharmaceutical industry. And I'll, 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 I'll lightly chastise the oil and gas industry a bit here. This may be the huh. only time I'll I do this. We, but we need it no, sometimes. we need it. We I, want it. I, I just, I think culturally, this industry, oil and gas, doesn't reach out as yeah. as much as it mm -hmm. should no, that's exactly why i brought it up because like one of the things i love to do is if i have a problem in my business or in whatever i'm doing look outside of my bubble in my industry and see if that problem has been solved or exists in some kind of capacity outside of my bubble and hey if they have what did they do how did they do it is there a way i could potentially replicate that and do it successfully or yep. at least be more informed about the risks that I'm going into yeah. because someone else has already done it. And it doesn't have to always be reaching out to Silicon Valley. I right. think that's where we get like <laughs> yes. this, like it's, it's, it's black yes. or white, it's oil and gas or Silicon Valley. Right. And if you don't, but like, no, there's like adjacent, yeah. you know, well, I mean, like industries lean, or you, you mentioned yeah. it earlier, right? Like my first internships were with in manufacturing. It was industrial engineering. We were building wind turbine blades, ironically enough, but that's what got me into the energy industry. When I started working there, I was like, man, I'd never thought about energy, right? Like, energy is not going away, right? Like it, that's right. a great industry. I should probably think about this, but you know, when I was on the plant floor, you know, my internship projects and stuff were, how do we shave minutes or seconds off of this process? Yeah, how do we optimize everything? And then, then my last summer before I graduated, I got an internship in the oil field. I loved it. I became a frack engineer and I will never forget the first few months on a frack site and we're sitting there, you know, it's the middle of the night, it's raining. We're shut down for whatever reason and i look out the window and there's like 12 sand trucks just parked charging us to merge and i'm like well that's dumb why didn't why weren't they notified that we were going to be shut down so that we didn't order them and now they're sitting here charging us god knows how many thousands of dollars an hour just, just to be there. parked and we're going to be down for 12 hours like this is a simple problem that could have been it's just a logistics problem right right and then you're like 
man, this is super different than what I was used to. But the industry has this weird like cycle of when prices are when prices exceed a certain ceiling, the mentality essentially becomes get it out of the ground as fast as we can before it drops below that. Right. I don't give a shit about anything else. Optimization, new technology. It's just make as much money as we possibly can during this time period because we know the only place for it to go is back down. Mm -hmm. And then everything shifts. Prices go down. Now people have to be more efficient and try and optimize. But then, of course, no one has the money. And it's this weird, like screwed up cycle that we force ourselves into. But yeah, that's the reason I bring this up is because there, we think that our problems are so like unique and, you know, difficult in all of these different ways. And it's like, no, guys, like Hess had that article about adopting lean manufacturing in 2015. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious because it's like this was invented in the 70s, guys. Yeah. Like we've been doing this for a long time. And oil and gas is essentially a manufacturing process in the worst possible way because it's all the money up front and then months to years before you actually start making money on yeah. it, right? Like, you know, a great canary in the coal mine here is Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, love him or hate him. He's teaching us a little bit about what it means to run companies in this new era. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I find fascinating about what he did was he, he's got Tesla, right? It's a, it's a car business and he's chunking out cars as fast as he can. Just like you were saying, John, you know, there's a manufacturing focus and efficiency mm -hmm. focus, shaving seconds mm -hmm. off different processes. And then he's got SpaceX, aerospace, which is very yeah. requirements oriented, yep. very slow, regulated, uh, highly regulated. So what he's done is he's taken sort of a car mentality mm -hmm. and automotive mentality and put it into SpaceX. And now he's moved more payload, more people into yeah. space than anybody, any other country combined. Right. Um, so we, we, we need to take note of successes yeah. like that. And so he's taking, uh, lessons he's learned from one industry and imparting it onto another industry with great yeah. and notable success. And I would <clears throat> love to see the oil and gas industry yeah. do that. It's changing. I'd, I'd say when I was younger, yeah. boy, it was really just parochial as could be. It's changing because of, you know, your generation. Yeah is is thinking a little bit better and differently so that's good i'm i'm, I'm encouraged and i'm hopeful we still got a long way to go oh, yeah, to be yeah. a, a lot less insular about our industry even taking a step back from tesla right like he brought the silicon valley mindset yeah, to, Tesla, to, to the car industry yeah. and then he took the car industry mindset to to space and like that's another thing too is like you know software is now in everything right so like if you're not keeping up with software and the cloud and data and machine learning, like it literally spans every industry in everyone's life and it's not going anywhere. And so like if you're pushing back against it and oil and gas, because that's how we've always done it, it's coming. It's like, it's not, it's here. It's here. Yeah. Like <laughs> right. we're trying to figure it out as we speak. And, and so and, and he's got a, he's got a kind of a mantra that he uses a lot. It's not his direct quote It's actually somebody who works for him. The machine that builds the machine. Yeah. He's, He's very much into the, um, there, there's the product, the Tesla car, yeah. which is an impressive product, but there's the, all of the software, yeah. all of the, the infrastructure, yeah. all of the digital workings that makes that happen that he's way more focused on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that we could draw lessons from that yeah. in oil and gas is like, let's focus on 
Um, and you know, you mentioned Hess, you know, doing mm-hmm. this, thinking about lean manufacturing. Okay, they're thinking about yeah. the the machine that builds the machine. Yeah, it's the how versus the what. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and even like Tesla, for example, right? Their custom designed GPU that runs all their computer vision stuff in the car, right? Like no auto manufacturer would have done anything remotely close to that had right. Tesla not yeah. done something like that, right? And then all the over-the-air updates. Guess what? Now all the auto manufacturers are trying to do as much updates oh. as they possibly can. And now all the Google auto, and, uh, now all the auto manufacturers are like we can't win this game. Yeah, have them are right. pulling yeah. out of the EV business or whatever. You know, he's like, he's done so much counterintuitive stuff, mm-hmm. and that's why I think he's good to learn from. You yeah. know the the these gold-plated consultants that you know would tell a company to outsource this and outsource that and focus on your core business. He's, he's just like swept all of that yeah, away. Yeah. What's the PayPal model? And, right? and has yeah. been very successful with it. He's vertically integrated, makes a lot of his own parts, both in Tesla and in yeah. SpaceX. Uh, so there's just a lot to learn from, from Elon Musk and his company. That was a wild thing about SpaceX. Like I think he went to Russia, was trying to talk to them about the rockets forever. And then like, it was going to be way too expensive. So basically on the flight back, he was sitting there with some pen and paper and Excel. We'll and he figured out, he's like, we can do our own. Yep. Yeah. Why are yep. we going to pay for someone for this? Well, like, yeah. And they use, I'm sure with both Tesla and SpaceX, I'm sure they're using 3d printed parts and material. Like just, we had the, one of the ANSYS guys on a couple weeks ago and, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that specific area I think is going to be fascinating, uh, moving forward as far <clears> as like part design and how, like we were talking about, you know, as engineers, we're taught to, a factor of safety and you design over design the part for specific failure and all this stuff. And it's like, well, now we can have a model design the part while optimizing the cost and the materials and the structure of the part and how it's actually manufactured while also optimizing for, you know, strength. And so it's like the way that we were taught to design something is actually bad design now because right. it's too robust yeah. and has too much material or like even being able to change, you know, the, the forces or the material, and how it reacts to the forces across, you know, a longitude and a latitude while you manufacture those pieces with, you know, different types of uh, composites and stuff. That's going to be nuts. Yeah. Right? We're, just, <laughs> we're, we're completely rethinking yeah. uh, how business is done. Yeah. And a lot of these tenants that we've held dear for, for the past couple of decades are just being sort of pushed away. And it's not just Elon Musk and his companies. Sure. There's lots of other great <clears throat> exemplars out there. But the, the, I think the overall point to your audience is, hey, look, you know, conventional wisdom isn't always yeah. the right way to go. We yeah. should we should be questioning everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think even just that whole PayPal mafia, that zero to one mentality. Yep. I mean, that zero means you can start from kind of first principles and you can totally rethink how I would do this right. if I was just right. starting, you know, let's say even like say Boeing, like they got a 737. They have to maintain that. And they have to build on that and they have to kind of incrementally fix it. But like someone like Elon or someone can come into an industry like that. It's like, no, this is how I would build a plane or this yeah. is how I would do a rocket if mm-hmm. I was going to start now. Like even NASA has to build off of technology that they've, you know, kind of incrementally built upon. Whereas right. he can come in and say, no, this is how we're going to do it. And yeah. Then, yeah. Again, and sometimes it may flop, it may work, but I mean, you're going to actually change the industry by doing Well, I mean, like I that. think that's the big thing too, is it's like, if you really want to make a lot of money, <laughs> you really got to be able to do something that is a literal step change in the way that things currently work whatever that may be and so it's like yeah uh, most people normally run into that whole funding problem when they're trying to do that but you know it we talk about this all the time right like if you're a startup and you're starting today where you're at is a completely different spot than 
you know, a established incumbent incumbent that has 20 years of data and 20 years of tech debt and 20 years of different ERPs and SAP and, you know, all these systems integrations and having, you know, maybe you acquired somebody and then you got all their crap that you had to figure out. Like they're just very different scenarios. Right. And like people don't take that into account a lot of times. Right. Like, right. Yeah. You're a new company, so you get to build it how you would today. But but that doesn't mean you're any better than the existing company because, you know, they actually have the robustness and the longevity Market and infrastructure. And yeah. It's, it's that, you know, the, the difference in a startup and like an established company to me, one of the big ones is, you know, in an established company, you're optimizing like processes and you're proceduralizing a lot of things and you're trying to automate as many things as you can. In a startup, it's, you have you have so many problems that you're trying to solve. It's just which, what are the most important fires we're putting out today and how can we try to process, you know, manufacturize uh, these things, put them into processes or automate them or, you know, do as much as we can with what we have. And so they're very different kind of things. They're all about optimizing in some way or another, which is why I think as engineers, like we love, Right. You, you mentioned it. We like to solve problems. Like at yeah. the end of the day, that's all we want to do is solve a problem. And so we talk about a lot too, like when IT gets involved and, you know, they put up these barriers and it's like, if an engineer wants the data, they're going to find, find a way, a way to it. get it. Right. Whether that means them writing scrapers or them, you know, doing going all, down in right, the basement like, yeah. and making once, it happen. Once they figure out a way around it, they're going to, they're going to exploit that as much as they can. If you're not going to work together with them, which is a whole nother, that's yeah. a whole nother topic. I, of conversation. I, I hope I live long enough to see uh, an Elon Musk or a Herb Kelleher or a Jeff Bezos come into the oil and gas that would be, that and would completely be reinvent oil and gas. I mean, some people have argued that George Mitchell kind of yeah, did that. Sure. George Mitchell was a, a brilliant uh, geoscientist. So, so he kind of reinvented the industry from the, the downhole mm -hmm. kind of point of view. He wasn't a technologist, yeah. but imagine if George Mitchell was a technologist, right. what he could have could do to this industry. Well, I mean, but yeah. even to that point, like he wasn't a technologist, but they tried a lot of new tech. Certainly did. Very early <clears throat> where a lot of, I mean, that's, that to me is one of the biggest knocks on our industry is that we're one of the first people to look at tech, we're one of the last people to actually adopt it. Yeah. Right. And, but it all boils down to, you know, that, well, do I want to, who's going to be the one to put their neck out on the line and take the risk or even just talk, like they were also really good about talking about it and sharing the information. Yeah. like just like Elon, right? Like, Hey, we're going to open source this stuff so you guys mm -hmm. can have it and help, help, you know, uh, yeah. the evolution of the development. Like that's a whole nother thing, right? Our industry is so worried about locking down their data and it's all proprietary and all this stuff. It's like, at some point, all the rock is leased. Yeah. Everyone knows who owns those leases. <laughs> like it's not new information. So like, why can't we imagine what we could have done? We've used this example before with like frack hits or frack interference, right? We knew that was happening for years, it took them forever to figure out why. And then the best models that have come out of that are basic static dynamic models of I've got a pressure over here. There's this distributed load on a rock, which is essentially my table that I'm pushing on. I vividly remember this from engineering class. You have, you know, a single point over here. What are the forces on the two legs? And it's like, that's exactly what we were doing. But, you know, and it's this very basic, simple physics-based model. And it's like, we took almost a decade to figure this out. And God knows how much money we not only spent, but how badly we screwed up our reservoirs. Yeah, destroyed. Yeah, because we over-drilled and put too many wells or we over-fracked them and we were just, you know, draining each other. Like, 
there's no telling. No one will ever know that. But imagine if we had been sharing this data with each other for much longer and earlier and we were more transparent about it. This shit could have yeah. been fixed right. a lot faster. And, and having a lot of really smart people work on the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's another thing. All right? these like, big companies have brilliant people, you know, Conoco, BP, whatever. I mean, but then you have the same brilliant people working on the same exact problem and no one's really sharing that, mm-hmm. that right. information. But. It's really, the, the change needs to come sort of at the top. The, yep. sort yeah. of a, I'd love to see that pioneering spirit come back into the yeah. industry. And and one day it will. I'm, I'm optimistic yeah. that it will. Just it, that's not the current state I mean, today. Because to that end, like, my first thought was like, say in EOG, because I mean, they're like, almost basically an IT company that drilled, happens to drill right. wells, right? But at the same time, they are like the, you know, the, the tightest. The, yeah. Like you don't know anything about, they can't talk to people. No. Like they don't do it. Like, so that it's all kept close to the best. So then it kind of blows up that whole, like sharing that. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I would say, uh, probably like the EQTs and Devons of the world would probably be some of the leaders in that kind of realm, I would say. But I agree with you. There's still lots of room for yeah. <laughs> For improvement but the problem with it is again most of those companies are 20 plus year companies right like they have all these legacy assets they've acquired god knows how much through all these acquisitions and divestitures and stuff and it's like they're not starting from zero so they have a lot of these constraints essentially that's where i was going originally like people talk about these nuances and stuff we're all math folks like it's literally calculus right like yeah. you have your constraints you know what they are right the constraints just change depending on what industry you're in like that's yeah. all it is well even like more simple than that i mean and this is where i kind of want to maybe pivot back to some of the work you're doing but like you talked about solving math problems i mean like most of the problems that people have are still counting problems <laughs> like right. can you count this it's, can you sum this right. like you mean like yeah, yeah. Move, move it this starts there and then piece of data from there to here right it, a lot of the work that we do i'd say 99 percent of the work that we do is basically algebra yeah it's not uh, a lot of really occasionally we get into some fairly sophisticated math yeah but a, a lot of it's just algebra mm-hmm. uh, and a yeah. lot of the you 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 peel away the layers of these business problems and you find kind of just an algebraic formula there it's logic maybe a maybe a big formula sure it's it's algebra at the end of the day yeah no that's that's a very good point right like so many of those processes is just moving data around or these nested logics of just basically algebra right but the thing that uh the thing that arguably makes it complicated i think uh that what we've observed is the degrees of freedom right so if, if you think about, think about a simple problem, okay, I want to arrange 13 people around a dinner table for a wedding, mm-hmm. let's say, okay, here's, here's Aunt Mary over here and here's Uncle Jim over here and so forth. I got 13 people to arrange. So how many combinations are there to arrange 13 people around a dinner table? Well, I, I can tell you the answer. Yeah. Uh, it's 13 factorial yeah. and that's 6.2 billion combinations. <laughs> got it. And uh, very good. Well, well, well done, Josh. So happy. Um, I was just going back. This is a combination of permutations. Yeah, I couldn't. Like, right. <laughs> but people think, oh my, six point two billion combination. That's that's incredible. I, we're just we're just doing putting thirteen people around a table. How could it be that complicated? Well, it, it, it is. is. Yeah. That's the number of combinations. And 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 so, what do we as humans do? As humans, we just kind of dumb the problem down. Okay, well, I'm just going to get on a piece of paper and I'm going to put Aunt Sally over here and Uncle right. Jim over here. It's like, I know they don't like each other, so we won't put them right. there, right? So or, they, they effectively- Yeah, there's your constraints. Dumb right. the problem down. <laughs> right. the, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they use- They haven't talked in eight years. You know, like, 
And you know what? We do the same thing in business. We take a, a really complicated problem like that that doesn't look complicated on the surface mm -hmm. and we dumb it down. And so we solve it intuitively. And I think that's the thing that, that makes the work that we do fairly complex because yeah. our models have to go out and search this vast solutions space to find the one perfect combination of those 13 people at the dinner table that nobody sort of gets into fights or yeah, yeah. throws wine at each other and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but that is the state of play today. Uh, I think we have more degrees of freedom than we had 10 years ago. We have uh, more people at the dinner table than we had right. mm. 10 years ago. And yet we are solving them with the same sort of dumbed down principles and intuition and rules of thumb. And that's just not going to be adequate going forward. Yeah. We're going to have to use math. We're going to have to engage math, yeah. technology, and software to solve <clears throat> these kind of problems yeah. going forward. I mean, just at the simplest level, right? There's so much data now that literally as humans, we can't, there's no way we can comprehend. And then uh, the flip side of that is a computer is really good at that if we can tell it how to be good at that, right? right. Like. Also, we hate doing that, generally speaking, and computers don't care, right? Computers are great at repetition. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's use them for repetition. Yeah, exactly. And not use them for necessarily the judgment uh, yeah, aspect of things. Right? Yeah. No, so, and I think this kind of kicks us into like the journey to, to AI, kind of where we're at now, and we can talk about where it's going. But even I, I kind of want to get your opinion. Like we, we think we've always had statistics, right? And then, you know, I'd say through the last decade and decade and a half, then there was statistics and data science, and there's obviously that overlap. But then there's kind of that blending of data science and machine learning. And then there was deep learning and now we're getting into like generative AI and like is some of that stuff in the middle just going to be lost or has it always existed? You know, it's kind of one of those things. And then, you know, where do we see, see it going from where we're at now? Cause it's advancing rapidly. And mm -hmm. then how, I mean, just really how much math is going on, you know, even within like the generative AI. Cause I, I think it was always like deep learning. There was a ton of math going on, but it was this black box. Right. Yeah. But that's actually a very good point. And, I think you're a good person to ask, to frame this question in this way. Explain how some of these model, the new models work, generally speaking, but explain it to me like I'm a CFO at a oil and gas company and I know nothing about any of that stuff, right? Like, because I really do think that's one of the things that a lot of people get hung up on, right? Is it's like, well, how is this working? What is it doing? Can it think for itself? Like, all, there's all these questions around the AI stuff and the people that are making the decisions a lot of the time don't really know like what anybody is talking about, right. even, you know, at the deepest level, I use GPT and I use a bunch of language models all of the time. That doesn't mean I actually have a true understanding of exactly how they work, what the bounds are, what their constraints are and all that stuff. And as all of my math teachers have always taught me, make sure you know the bounds of, <laughs> of your conditions or of your um, equation before you go and start using it. And so I think that that would be a really good kind of, snippet to get out of there just to to uh, like let the average even just tech focused person but just that doesn't have that layer of of knowledge to kind of understand like how they work what they're actually doing what they are not capable of doing you know what to look out for when people are promising you that they can do things that they right. actually can't really do because there's a lot i mean the the creative marketing folks at some of these companies especially in silicon valley that have lots of funding like I'm getting really, really good ads about, you know, hey, here's this AI sales agent and he sounds like a real person and he can take all of your sales calls for you. Like, that sounds awesome. I have a, I actually saw a video on, on Reel the other day where they said, okay, now write me a, uh, 
like they prompted it to write him to ask him to write him like a social media post and it did <laughs> it just mm-hmm. regurgitated it back to him and it's like yeah there's some there's some you know areas of, of yeah. concern with some of those things right but okay well yeah uh, there's a lot there's a lot sorry. to unpack sorry. that's uh yeah uh let, let me do bobby's let first. me do the do the the best i can at, at all of this tying it together first of all Let's let's just acknowledge that AI. When you say AI, it's this giant umbrella, yeah. and there's lots of sort of slices under that umbrella. It's just nested if statements, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the large language models uh, is is one, one thing that people sort of get excited about because it's been consumerized, yeah. and and hey, I can get on Chat GPT and I can I can type these things and I get this seemingly responsible answer. So <clears throat> the pivotal word. Uh, in there is language, large language models. It is a language model. It is not a knowledge model. So for example, if you were to go to chat GPT and say, write a love letter to my wife, you know, we met 10 years ago and we have two children and yada, yada, yada. You give some uh, salient facts about your relationship to your wife and it will write you the most beautiful love. It'll bring you to tears. Um, And you think, ah, wow, that is really intelligent, but it's not. So language models are trained on the internet. So it is responding to your ask of a love letter. So it's been trained on thousands and thousands and thousands of things called love letters, but it doesn't understand the concept of love, relationships, marriage, et cetera. It's regurgitating to you. It's essentially tricking you into thinking it's intelligent. Now, does that mean it's not useful? No, I'm, I'm yeah. not suggesting that. But do know, the CFO of mm-hmm. oil and gas firm, know that um, language models are good for production of narratives. So if you're talking about using it as a sales agent, you know yeah. that's, all, that's all well and good. But the thing that is coming, it's kind of around the corner, is actually a knowledge system. So you, you type a question into something and it's giving you an answer based on actually knowing comprehension, the answer. Now that's a, that's a very different training, uh, scenario where you're curating knowledge. So, uh, say if I were to go into an oil and gas firm and there's, um, there's frack plug design, which mm-hmm. I know is a, like it's, it's its own topic, right? people that dedicate their careers into mm-hmm. designing frack plugs. Okay. And you always use a, a, a ball frack plug, you know, in this situation, another frack plug in that situation and so forth. I, I don't really know the domain, so I'm talking out of my hat here, but um, suffice to say there's, there's sort of factual knowledge that you can gather about that very niche topic. And somebody who's intelligent about that can uh, curate that into a system. And so when you ask about that topic, it can give you an actual answer. That's called a knowledge system. And the closest thing to a, a public domain uh, example of that is something called Wolfram Alpha. So if you yeah. want to go out to wolframalpha.com and, and toy around with it, you'll, you'll immediately understand the difference between that and a language model. It's really good for uh, solving math problems. Yeah, <laughs> you, I see uh, that you've done you, that before. Yeah. If you have any math problems that you're interested right. in. Right, or if your children, you I know, know helping you with going. homework, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an ideal. Great parent tip. <laughs> but but those two domains are starting to come together and, and the two communities of scientists are sort of coming together. When we can actually have something that behaves like chat GPT, but actually is the source of real curated knowledge, yeah. 
then we've really got something. Mm -hmm. So that's coming. Is uh, that, I mean, is that, would you define that as AGI at that point or are we still? Well, you're still, the next step, um, the it's next still step sort of hard coded, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so in other words, some, some human in, in, who's an expert in that domain is sitting down and encoding that into a system. So I would not call that, um, AGI and that's artificial general, general intelligence. Yeah. And for those of you in the audience that, that don't know what that is, that's, that's not AI. That's AI for AI that yeah. it's learning how to learn. So that systems with no presupposition that, that can can go into a subject learn it and then come back out yeah and 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 that's agi is like the next wave it's fairly immature but that's what a lot of people yeah. are sort of working on which is which is this sort of agi domain and and i'll, I'll give you a, a little example to sort of teach the audience what this means a couple of professors from cornell a few years back they took a metal bar and hung it from a, a hinge and swung it back and forth like a pendulum. And then they took a second metal bar and hooked it to that first metal bar. So now it's swinging back and forth in this sort of complicated wavy way. And they took a piece of software and they had that software just kind of sit there and observe that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it ultimately deduced Newton's second law of motion. Wow. Now that yeah, is intelligence of another order entirely. Yeah. Again, it's not there because it had no prior prior knowledge right. of that. Right. No it's prior knowledge. Yeah, of that's that. no prior knowledge of physics. Yeah. You, you, we didn't sit down and teach it physics. Right. It deduced that. So that's where a lot of yeah. this is headed. Because if you think about ChatGPT, you know what was the difficult? Why couldn't I go build ChatGPT tomorrow? Well, the reason is because I don't have this massive data training set yeah. uh, to go out and train it with. And even if I did, you know, it's a lot of hard work that a lot of people at OpenAI put into this. Uh, so so we're, what we're trying to solve right now is the, the training problem. Training is, is difficult. It's manual. Yep. Once we solve that, then a, you'll see AI go into lots of different domains. But back to the answer to your overall question is, what is this AI thing? And, you know, how should people sort of practically think about that? You know, I think one of the areas that doesn't get a lot of mention, which I think is the most valuable, is something called heuristics. Now, heuristics is just kind of this Latin-derived term that means rules. It's rules. Mm -hmm. So when a human does something, um, you know, they they function on a set of rules. Now, they're not always conscious of those rules. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they have rules by which they behave. And the most valuable application of AI these days is taking humans who are smart at some discipline and pulling those rules out of their heads and then codifying that yeah. in some system. I was just recently uh, at a car plant in North America. It's for this particular very large car brand, uh, their second largest plant in North America. And it was fascinating to watch you know, cars come off the line. They had one gentleman at one part of the line who um who does something called offlines so a, a car will come to him and it's got a little blemish yeah. and it may have a blemish over here on the door or on the hood or whatever it might be and there's hundreds of different variations of this and he could look at that and say ah okay that was because robot right. number 32 right. was misaligned blah 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 
he could he could do that yeah. just in, intuitively because he's been doing it for 23 years. This gentleman's in his 60s, very nice guy, but he's not going to be around yeah, very long. Yeah. How um, do we capture yeah. Yeah. and codify his knowledge, How his tacit your, knowledge, your shop foreman or your people call it tribal knowledge, yep. and put it into a system? That's that's heuristics. So um, at some point, we're going to sit this gentleman down. We're going to ask him lots and lots of questions. Yeah. And probably what's going to emerge out of that is this big decision tree. It's probably going to be a big old diagram, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the size of a wall here in the studio, um, that uh, that then we'll put into software. Now let's turn the conversation back to oil and gas. I've been around oil and gas companies a lot, and there are people like that particular gentleman yeah. all over, <laughs> yeah. know a lot of things. They can hear yeah, the compressor, and they know exactly what's wrong and, with it. And and they're and they're not good at articulating how they do what they do necessarily. I mean, we call this the Michael Jordan paradox. You know, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that's ever lived. And he's going toward the goal and he's dribbling that basket and he's looking at the goal and he's moving side to side and he makes this magical dunk. And you sit Michael Jordan down afterwards and you say, okay, Michael, exactly what was the physics uh, that you used? How did you you know? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) why did you move left instead of right? And and he's going to really struggle at, right. at describing that to you. So there's, uh, funny enough, in, in the AI world that we live in where we're trying to build these practical applications, there's a lot of sort of Dr. Phil moments we have yeah. where we have to use psychology yeah. and, and, and a little bit of art mm-hmm. to draw people's knowledge out of their brain Absolutely. and then put that into systems. And even when we do that, they're not perfect, so we have to test them against yeah, the yeah. human and so forth. But... Um, I, you know, I just want to express to your your audience that um, large language models are great and they're interesting and they do some very useful things, but there's this whole other uh, area of application of AI that that people don't really talk about a lot yeah. that is just as powerful and I would claim is even more yeah. valuable. Yeah, well, especially right, like in an industry like this. I mean, we we're in the middle of the great crew change or whatever they call it, right? Where you've got that 20 year generation gap. Every exactly. operator knows our knowledge base is basically a leaky bucket and they're trying to figure out all these ways of capturing that knowledge. And a lot of it to your point is it's not the heuristics approach. It's the, okay, well, can you, you know, write up a summary or something just, it's not specific enough and detailed enough um, to really truly pass that on because it's one of those, it's learned knowledge, right? Like, the only reason those guys know that is because they've done it for 20 years and that happened for six months in a row until they fi- finally figured out what the issue was. And now they know forever that if that ever happens again, that was the problem. Right. But you know, I think to your point, the best, the people that do that best do it where the user doesn't even know that it's happening. Captcha is the example that I use all the time, right? Like it, I, I didn't even know until a few years ago that that's what Captcha was, right? Captcha is you training Google's uh, computer vision model. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. It's a security feature. Yes. But it's also you, tr- the user who most of the world has no idea that they're doing that training this model for them. And that's how software should be. In my opinion, that's one of the biggest issues with a lot of oil and gas software is that it's older software. Therefore they didn't have the technology that they have today. So it wasn't built understanding that, Hey, as the user is tagging these things on a frack job, maybe I store that data and keep storing that data so that I can build a model off of that and then just do it automatically or just like we, I, as, that's a specific example to me because I was a frag engineer and I've tagged thousands of stages and that software was like, you know, 
70, 80% industry dom dominant software. And they never did anything with that information. And you're just like, yeah. what is wrong with you? Also on that topic, to your point about, you know, the computers not understanding certain things that humans just immediately get. Bobby and I were trying to figure out how to pick start and stop of frack stages and then different parts of frack stages. And I was like, you and I can look at this and tell, yeah. but training an algorithmic model to go off of the data, the hard numbers is going to be much harder. And so we actually, Bobby built a pretty successful model just off of a visually tagging the model as a human, which then of course updated the data on the backside, but just little things like that, right? Like tagging models doesn't have to be horribly difficult if you are creative about how you allow the user to do that, right? Yeah. Whether it's in production or whether it's just engineers in the back office that are just tagging models, but Hey, adding that GUI step yeah. made it infinitely faster. <laughs> and again, I don't know if I ever got there cause I had left, but I mean, even it was one of those like, uh, say at that point, our account managers were supposed to be watching the mm -hmm. stages, like just as a, um, right. you know, as a QC for the data, that was something you come and do every day. Like why not while they're just doing it, just, have you know, them tag it, have, right? you know, brush it on the, on the thing. And then that saves those outputs and then you can yeah. use that to train. No, I, th I think that's a, a big thing again with us being so private with our data and how we operate and how we practice. It's like, look at the, the leaps that happen when you allow the crowd, when you crowdsource your knowledge, right? Like look at how far GPT has come in a year just because they they gave it away for free. So now they had this huge user base that's coming in there and most people don't realize this, but they're, you're training the model every time you use it. And so their model gets better and then they get a new version and they keep iterating and spinning stuff out. And that's how software development with AI should That's work. how it should work. But that's not how most of the industry does it, right? And so now we're having to play catch up, I feel like. Almost. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the, the great crew change as well, because that's another thing that the industry thinks it's the only industry, oil and gas thinks it's right. the only industry that's dealing with that. And it's not no. uh, trucking, even airline pilots mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Are, are going through this. And, um, and once again, I think the answer is analytics and, and data. The most encouraging thing that I've, I've seen, development that I've seen in trying to close that gap between the older generation leaving the industry and the new generation coming up is these uh, concepts called management flight simulators, which is the idea uh, just like an airline pilot, uh, they have to climb into a machine twice a year and, you know, get trained and they're given various exercises. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you have an engine failure. Right. What do you do? And they're supposed to follow a protocol. Um, now we're starting to do that in business. We have simulation models that allow immersive experiences where, okay, congratulations. You now run Devon today. Right. You're, you run this field today. Uh, you make all the decisions, yeah. all the, uh, technical decisions, the economic decisions, and you're probably going to fail. Yeah. Uh, fine. No, no harm, no foul. Uh, back up. Let's try a slightly right. different strategy. So it's giving uh, a, people an ability to practice and to yeah. fail right. and to, then to correct. Um, on, on occasion, I've dealt with uh, professional sports teams too. Mm -hmm. I've built analytics for professional sports teams. This idea of practice is just so ingrained in them. Yeah, and yeah. these are the best athletes in the world, right? And they practice seven hours a day, even mm -hmm. in the off season. And let's go into a company, a, a well-performing company. And do they practice? Right. Do they role play? Right. Generally, no. they don't. Um, but they have all these unforeseen circumstances sort of coming their way all the time. Why can't we use analytics, these immersive environments, these simulators, if you will, 
uh, that allow us to role play certain exercises yeah. that have either actually happened or uh, could theoretically happen to us. Um, there's there's going to be some a role for AI in yeah. some of those systems. There's going to be a role for for expert humans to evaluate. You know, an expert pilot evaluating how yeah. the young pilot did. You mm -hmm. know, when he encountered a bird strike. Uh, th there's there's a role there. So other industries are uh, taking this great crew change sort of problem on, and then are closing that loop with things yeah. like analytical models, yeah. uh, management flight simulators. And I'd love to see our industry do that too. That'd uh, be that's awesome. a great. That's a great idea, right? Like we we have drilling simulators that the drilling engineers use to get certified and do all their training. Why don't we do that for, I mean, frack and everything else, yep, right? Like an that, entire field. Yeah. The, uh, the whole process that especially like, that's what always gets me right. Is our industry is so hyper-focused on risk as far as like leadership and management. And that's one of the biggest things they weigh for every decision. But then it's like, but then the riskiest things that we do are still the, <laughs> the, the furthest behind tech wise is still the most manual. They still have the most people involved and like we're, shaving that down finally and stuff but it's like guys you know yes like uh uh ar headset might be expensive but if you've got a mechanic out there that has that and he's connected and he can now do all of the maintenance without any questions or and has all the manuals and stuff with him like that's a benefit that reduces your npt it reduces your downtime which means you're gonna have your wells on faster you're gonna start making money like there's all those like compounding things like we talk about in the manufacturing process, they, you know, well, it's the oil field, so it's different. No, it's a manufacturing process. You yeah. have to do this before you can do this, before you can do that, right? And like, and there's all these constraints and ties to them, uh, to each other. And so it's, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a really good idea, I feel like, because there are so many, the hardest part about business is you don't know what's coming, right? Like if you knew, like a, a hurricane was coming, just like, a, it's like a hurricane versus a tornado, right? Yeah. Tornado pops up in the middle of the night always, you never see it and it's you know 2 a.m and the alarms are going off and you're like oh well shit i guess there's a tornado hurricane you know a week ahead of time it's coming you can leave you could prepare for it but that's how most businesses they try and prepare for as much as they can but you just never yeah. know what you never know, know. COVID is right. gonna happen right yeah I it's mean. the this is the most exciting and discouraging industry ever and it's discouraging <laughs> because we're not where we should be because yeah. we look around at other industries and go why why aren't we there but it's exciting in that this is an industry that probably has the greatest potential yep. yeah. to apply some of these things that we're talking about than any other industry around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the benefits that they will get. I completely Absolutely. agree with you. So speaking of application, I kind of want to maybe pivot a little bit because like we talked a lot about like the model, but like say as a practitioner, like how can I even like deploy AI? Like even just whether it's, is it cloud hosted or what? tools are out there and even it's just an evolving space i mean there's 20 different vector databases and yeah that's actually a good all point. that kind of stuff but like i mean we're finally maybe kind of going back to where i was talking earlier like we're finally at the point where there's better tooling for say ml ops and maybe we have better processes around it but it's like oh we just got good at that and now like is is some of that obsolete or can we take you know or, but now how do we deploy these models or do we are we only at the beck and call of Microsoft right. and Google to create it for us. And we have to use that, you know, just kind of curious yeah. on your thoughts and how you're tackling that. Currently. There's definitely an, an aspect of this where it's like, they don't know what they don't know. And so it's like as someone who, you know, I like to bitch about this because it still pisses me off that Google did it. But when they came out with their vertex studio, it's like, Oh, that's right up my alley. Right. Like low code uh, language model deployment. And I can call it via an API. I can do all that spent two days trying to get the stupid model deployed, just stood up on their server after spending 
an hour Googling, I find all these forums in the Google forum saying how Google, none of the Google servers can support a Llama 2 model, even though Llama 2 is the first model that shows up in <laughs> Vertex when you yeah. open it. And it's like, you know, how do people, people, like I said, they don't know what they don't know. So it's one of those things where it's like, you've got, okay, this engineer that has this really interesting model and it's working on his computer for one frack spread, let's say, or drilling rig. It's like, okay, well, how the hell do I get that across the entire company? And it's mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of things that have to happen yeah. there that they have no idea <clears throat> about as far as like, oh, well, it runs on my laptop. Okay, well, yeah. now we got to find a server for that to run on so well, that everybody even can use This it. came up in a webinar I was in last week too. That was like, now you take those federated, you know, learning or you have like, um, say like Saudi or something where like the data can't leave right. there, but they want to leverage what was outside of it, <laughs> right. but also with internal, but then like, how do you blend those models together? But I we're getting deeper down the rabbit hole than I wanted to, but just, I'll let you kind of get no, into No, no, it, it, it's a legitimate question. And, and you know, I, I feel this pain because, you know, I'll write some code and I'll be sort of super proud of it and I'll do it in record time. And then it comes to deployment and then we got to deal with authentication and, mm-hmm. you know, just all that junk. And so deployment is almost as hard yeah. as, as the, uh, and time, time consuming is writing the code. So it's really frustrating. Um, I will say from our point of view, when we build our models, um, you know, we tend to kind of go toward a web stack that's sort of a, almost like a roll your own mm. easy web stack. Uh, so Python is our primary language. We write a lot of our code in Python, no matter whether it's a simulation model or a machine learning model. Mm-hmm. I mean, we write it in Python, use libraries, of course, but you know, Python kind of glues it all sure. together. And then um, we put it into, we put our code into Docker containers mm. uh, on Google Cloud Platform. And we, we have not used, sometimes we're forced to use Microsoft. We, we have not used, I don't have anything against Microsoft, yeah. but Google Cloud Platform is, is probably the easiest of mm-hmm. sort of the big three that, that we yeah, found. I've heard, always heard for like developers. It's very developer. It's friendly. just yeah. like, that's why I like pretty, it. pretty plain vanilla. Uh, so, so Docker container on a Google Cloud Platform and then we just do kind of simple authentication mm-hmm. stuff that that we do. I, I'm not an expert in no, that no, yeah. part of it, but um, so our web stack is is just kind of very simple, um, and uh, and we've we've used we've used Flash uh, as sort of our application platform. Again, I'm I'm there's other people at our company that that kind of tend to specialize in that, but I, I think the the overall answer to your question is we do sort of roll your own number mm-hmm. one and number two we keep it pretty simple i yes microsoft and these others are coming out with these supposedly great tools and that's wonderful and i encourage that yeah. but uh it's like is the juice worth the squeeze with, sure. with those it's just they they're and they, so I mean, it can be it can be expensive i think as, as soon as yeah. you start getting into any machine learning deep learning and now into the ai i mean like just those yeah, things are constantly running and they're they need a lot and that's another area of this where i absolutely am confident that they don't know what they don't know and one of the things i learned selling trying to sell edge is that most of the energy companies are not paying much attention to their cloud bills because they're still running on all these credits that they got to migrate over to their cloud to begin with and so i am very interested to see how all this shakes out especially with the cloud credit piece because yeah that one llama instance the thing i did like about it like it had a good gui it told me what my estimated cost was going to be per month and it was going to be thirty thousand dollars just for the one llama two instance on a server that i couldn't get it spun up on 
Um, so like, who knows what it would actually cost, but that's something that, yeah, I like these companies have got to understand and think about. So I'm also very kind of bullish, honestly, on hardware and not just for everybody else, you know, using AI, but it, it's, it's already to the point where it's actually cheaper to go buy and build your own server, even with the $10,000 GPUs that they require than it would be to go spin up and you get it back within a month or two like right. that ROI is the, super quick the pendulum is kind of swung it's swung back, back. That's on, what you're talking about. on the Old whole cloud idea i got a surprise bill for um i mean for us it was pretty big it was 500 dollars from google cloud platform when it's usually like 20 yeah and it's because we put a we put a giant database onto google cloud okay, platform yeah. and boom we got a hit, hit with yeah. these huge license fees and uh yeah so so i guess the message to your audience is kind of watch out for that be careful you know, kind of limited in what you do, scale up things you mm. know, carefully. Um, I mean, if you've got unlimited budget and you can write big checks to people like Microsoft, I mean, go ahead. But sure. uh, most uh, most companies that I know of aren't in that position. Yeah. And it comes down to, is it necessary right. too? I mean, like, again, so, like you said, some people don't know what they don't know. So they're like, oh, I guess this is what it costs to do this. And, you know, we're going to get an ROI. So let's just pay it. But, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to spend a lot to solve, yeah. you know, tough problems. You shouldn't have to. No. Well, and, you know, we're, we're still in the first Infancy, inning yeah. of this game, right? And so, like, as the longer you wait, the more tools are going to be developed. I'm already starting to see. I saw something on Instagram, I think, yesterday from a guy, and it was, uh, it was this site that basically just gave you a real time cost of all the different models on the different platforms. I was like, that's actually a Genius. great idea, right? Yeah. Like, and like, you're going to start seeing more and more things that pop up that are, you know insight into cost or maybe even these brokers that I've seen people talking about where it's like it goes and finds the cheapest hardware to run it on you so it's almost this weird distributed cloud kind of concept um and so like that's another that is one benefit of waiting and being a laggard or a slower adopter is that you get to see some of the mistakes and yeah. right figure out with let other people figure out which vector database is the one that is going to be the best one and like yeah. that's you know that's one of the things we've talked about a lot is you know because we're so early it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like the minute you pick a model that you're going to try and build off of, there's an, a better one that's faster yeah. or cheaper or whatever. And then the minute you pay, you don't, you're being dinged by, you know, your, uh, your shareholders or whoever that you're not. And so yeah. it's, it's this weird. Conundrum. Yeah. And I, I would say a good antidote to that, not a perfect, but a good antidote to, to what you were just describing is good design. Yeah. If you have a good core design, uh, it should be um, not perfectly impervious to yeah, these kind of uh, module module flexible. changes, but it, you, yeah. you're you're raising your odds there. Uh, so when we do our work, no matter what we're we're building, it's a simulation model or whatever, um, long before we write even a single piece of code or or bring in a library, or whatever, um, we spend a lot of time just designing this out on paper. Yeah, yeah. Y'all making sure that, that it's a good, solid, sound design. And then we kind of mentally stress test it. Okay, mm -hmm. what if this happened? What if that happened? And um, I think there's a, there's a uh, for, for, for folks out there who are, are trying to build these systems and they're not necessarily technical themselves, you know, there's this kind of notion of, you know, where, when, when am I going to see the code? You know, let's write some code. Um, and and I would caution you yeah. Yeah. to for the people that you're working with inside the company or outside the company, um, spend a lot of time in design. You know more than you think you should. Yeah, that's a very good point because you know, like I said, we met 
as you were consulting with us. And in that process, you know, as the, the customer, I'm getting pressure from my boss, like, Hey, we need, we need to get, get something. We need to get it going. How much, <clears throat> when is it going to happen? How much am I paying? I'm paying this. Where's the product? Yep. Where's the output? Blah, blah, blah. And even as just a person, it's like, man, do we have to go sit through this? And like, uh, yeah. like I know how I want it to work, but the fact that I know how I want it to work doesn't mean that anyone else has any idea how I actually want it to work. And so like, I absolutely agree with you. I like, it, it's a process. It's mentally yeah. exhausting. It's time consuming, but the more you do up front, the better it will be when you do get it and the faster you'll probably end up getting there. Like I caution people, if someone says they can spin out a pseudo complex app or code base in a short amount of time, there's probably something going on there. It's either going to be, you know, the classic developer. Oh, well I checked the box that made it do what you wanted it to do. It's the most unintuitive way to possibly do it. And your users will never know how to actually do it. But I did make it do the function that you asked me to do here in that. That, in five years from now, nobody right. will ever know yeah. <laughs> right. how he did You're what right. he did. So, uh, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a big one that you, because again, it's management looks as it from, you know, the financial it's side, it's a cost and it, the cost in time, which is the worst things that, that they never want to hear. And so, but you know, if you don't do those things, you run into the, the issues down the road, you're halfway through development. It's like, oh yeah, we forgot to think about that scenario where Billy couldn't push that button. And he, because he was on vacation or days off or whatever, yeah. it's like, well, shit, now we have to refactor the entire thing. And now you're twice as far behind as you would have been if you would have just done it up front. Right. Yeah. And I think, th I think that's a good lesson for your audience too, in that, you know, how do you start some of these sort of AI projects? I was at a conference just last week and with a very uh, prominent you know, technology provider. Mm -hmm. And the first question that they asked at the conference is, what can we do with generative AI? And I thought, oh my God, that not only is that the wrong question, uh, but that's going to lead that, you know, whoever takes that advice down a path of building a very expensive science project yeah. that doesn't actually mm -hmm. provide value. Uh, I think the best projects, the one that I've seen succeed, start with the math problem, mm -hmm. the problem you're trying to solve, and then very carefully and thoroughly documents that problem on paper and then decides, okay, the here's our problem. What, what, you know, what pieces of technology, what methodologies right. appropriately yeah. apply Sometimes to that? It's going to be a lot simpler than it needs. <laughs> and, and a lot simpler. Yeah. I, and, you know, there, there's validity to asking the question of, hey, what class of problems does this particular technology solve? I, I yeah. get that. But that's not the way to start a project. Right. Um, so my, my advice to your audience is, look, when you're trying to create value inside companies uh, using the, the, you know, quivers, the arrow in your quiver, arrows in your quiver, I yeah. I say that right. Um, the, the best way to do that is to ferret out these problems, which are often hidden in plain sight, but they're hidden. Elevate that in black and white with, with diagrams, with documents, yeah. but especially like, like diagrams. Yeah. Most people are diagram people. And, and then work backwards from the business problem. Anchor your work to a business problem and you'll create value yeah. every single iteration. Yeah. No, that's, you cannot be specific enough when you're <laughs> scoping and going through that process, right? Like I tell everybody that and you don't really understand that until you do it a time or two and you're like, oh shit, I forgot. Yeah, I right. wasn't specific. Or I, I also tell people now, especially with tools like 
one of the things that, again, like we've talked about this whole time is AI is incredible right now at supplementing human activity in certain areas. And so, for example, I now tell people, like, if it has anything to do with the front end visually, mock it up, 100% mock it up every time if you have any kind of thing that that you're trying to get a dev to do because it can easily turn into, well, I did it. Well, okay, but this is how I wanted you to do it. Well, you didn't say that. And so just having a mock-up helps, but then you take it this next step. There's this tool that I've talked about before, TL Draw, and it's a basically just like paint. And so you can put a box and then you can put fields and squares, and then you put text in it telling it what each thing does. And then you click a button and GPT-4 does its thing and builds you a interactive little spins up a little web app that you can share with people so you can send it directly to the developer and he could see exactly how it works and you can just sit there and iterate on it and it's like with tools like that like there's no reason anymore that we should have these issues of like scope creep or things that well i wanted it that way but you didn't you didn't know that i wanted it that way right humans are always involved no that's a three-prong humans are terrible right about communication Um, generally speaking but yeah it was interesting too i mean just kind of think of that you talk about the documentation and like solving the problem, but then it made me think, and it, it all starts to come full circle, I think, as you weave in some of this AI. But I mean, now say with GitHub Copilot, I mean, like and one thing I've heard people talk about and I try to do, but you know, I'm, I'm not great about it either, but it would be like, before you write a line of code, write all your, write all your comments, right? And then fill oh, in the code. Really good idea, but now with, <laughs> with GitHub Copilot, you can literally write your comments and, and it, will write, it will write the code for those comments, at least, you know, and you could actually, achieve a lot by really outlining what you need to do first and without ever writing a line of code you know in this day and age right you can even you you know take that further and write tests yeah and then and it'll work sort of backwards from the test to write the code i mean it's crazy what that's stuff like that that's the only reason i can code as (laughs) as much as i do these days is because i have gotten good enough at prompting gpt of like okay we're going to, I need you to build me a Python script for collab. So it knows out of the gate exactly how to format it and which, uh, you know, type or what the format to use. And then I tell it exactly what I, if I want to use a library, I'll put the Git link in there and say, use this library. And it does a pretty damn good job of it because I gave it the boundaries and the constraints of what I wanted it to do. But it's like, if you just type in, write me a Python code that, you know, scrapes this website, it's going to tell you a bunch of junk right? bad prompts give you bad yeah. answers it, yeah. it goes back to the math right data junk in equals junk out guys yeah it's a function right yep inputs outputs and no that's uh man we're definitely so we've talked about this but we're gonna have episodes in the future of like panel more panel type about a specific topic so we'd love to have you back for the the ai stuff let's come back a, yeah a well no it's like again we're looking we're like an hour no, 15 yeah, in we're already <laughs> it's like we could, we could sit here and talk <laughs> for three hours went on this by, went by quick but that's a sign that it was a, a good one too though um you want to jump in speed round now i guess yeah, yeah we kind of do a little speed that round at the end just kind quick. of a this will be fun because we can make it we can make it kind of ai quick focused. qa yeah so we just kind of pepper you with questions and okay short answers and stuff uh i'll keep it as short as i can yeah what's your what's your what do you see as like the kind of leading um vector databases these days oh my gosh well you know oracle's new version they just added vector capability i'm not saying that's the best Mm -hmm. vector database but it's telling that they added vector capability to this legacy uh database i can't really give you an answer there uh because on the database side on the repository side i don't work in that very much what about on the coding side do you have a favorite 
library or um, model that you've been well, using? Well, I assume um, you guys use PyTorch. Yes. Torch, so we use a lot of Python yeah. language. And within the Python language, there is a, a uh, simulation library called SimPy that works on Python's generator functions. It's a brilliant application of generator. Generator functions weren't created to, to do simulation, but these very smart people put this library together and it is, it is incredible. And so it's not just for discrete events. So if you're looking at any kind of process flow model, yeah. it's great for that. So it's called cool. SimPy. Okay, cool. That's a good one. Um, I, <clears throat> who's your uh, favorite social media follow? Social media follower. Uh, follow like who do you follow? Like, oh, or who do you do like I to? Do you like to keep to an eye out for their or, content or, or watch? Um, uh, I do follow Elon Musk. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, because I I I don't care about his sort of political statements sure. and all that, but he says things on occasion about mm -hmm. things he's doing at SpaceX, Tesla, yeah. the Boring Company, even Neuralink. Neuralink yeah. has has had some interesting yeah, uh, they have. news uh, as of late. Uh, I like following him because yeah, then that directs nuggets. me to do a little bit of research on stuff he says that yeah. I want to I want to understand better. Yeah, sure. any, anybody in the AI space that you like to uh, that puts out good content that you like to read or watch? Um, yes, there's a lot, there's a lot know, of people. I'm, the same I'm way. trying to you know gather yeah. remember uh, who they are, <laughs> gather their their names. Um. um We can come back to that one. Yeah. It'll, it'll pop in right before you walk out the door. Right. Like, like my brain works. Yeah. What is, is GCP your preferred cloud provider? Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, it's probably not got as many bells and whistles as some of the others, but it's just easy. You can say, get in there, you can implement and you're. It's the easiest. Yeah. It was the easiest to me to get just like. I needed a quick database that I could connect to Power BI. I could spin up a BigQuery instance very quickly. It was super well documented. Right. There's lots of, you know, <laughs> medium blogs and all kinds of articles yep. about how to do all kinds of stuff with and it. And I'd say generally reasonably priced yeah. as yeah. well. So and also how you can authenticate with it. You know, all three of no, them. That's, like, that's the <laughs> like beauty of Azure. It. You know, you need, a, you need like an Azure account to get into Azure. And mm -hmm. then like AWS has this very bizarre IAM. But like, I mean, like you get a Gmail account, you can... Yeah, you know, GCP, no, I mean, you know, then it knows that you're this human being. I right. use I use that quite a bit because uh, I mean, even just for like stuff within, right? Like I've said this before, I use AppScript for a lot of just like kind of initial testing of code or of different processes and stuff because it's just basically Java that I can now use Sheets as my database. I can use Drive as another storage place that mm -hmm. if I want to pull or push things from, and. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful because I don't have to authenticate because it's on my drive and on my sheets and yeah. you know, it's the click the button and it, it all works together yeah. really and, nicely. And, and I'd say generally speaking, we're kind of bought into the Google ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't been unhappy. Yeah. Nothing uh, you've wanted for into that. Yeah. Just don't try and spin up a llama two model. <laughs> I <laughs> don't promise I won't. Yeah. Um, you got one more. Uh, what's your favorite favorite place to go on vacation? Sounds like you've traveled a lot. Oh my gosh! Uh, so I love Cabo San Lucas. Okay. It's, That's on it's my, kind of my like happy top, place. Yeah, five on my bucket list. Yeah, so if y'all go, let me fantastic. know because there's a place Rebecca told me to go to. Okay. That was just awesome. You can the do third. everything there. You yeah. can go uh, out in the sort yep. of desert-like conditions Mountains. and do dune buggies. You can go fishing. You can go swimming. You can go sailing. Uh, you can play golf. Yeah. I mean. 
pretty much anything you yep. can think of yeah. to do short of snow skiing yeah. uh you can do there i love cabo city yeah, it's cabo easy was, to get to from houston too yeah perfect cabo was a, we had that was one of the last international trips we took ever since our kids started growing up it's a while ago too it, uh, yeah it was a while ago uh but that, yeah i agree i was shocked when i landed in cabo like the mountains and desert were just like right there yeah and then yep. you're like oh and there's this beach and then as you're driving to all the resorts there's all these golf courses I'm like, what where am i yeah it's it awesome though fantastic uh I think it's Ferreon. Okay. El Ferreon. Have you ever heard of that restaurant? It's down like, it's on the, whatever that is, west, northwest side of the arch. So it's okay. around the tip. Kind yep. of. There's a really fancy resort right there, but there's a restaurant there and it's literally built into like the coast. And so you're like on the water, the water's splashing up onto the patio and so it was just a really cool spot you get to pick your meat and they cook it right there in front of you it's my heart awesome. kind of belongs to cabo because that's where we got married oh, yeah. uh, oh, a year cool. and a half ago my wife so that's awesome fantastic place um what is your favorite language model right now and then we'll wrap it up because i figured that'd be a fun question hmm. um I, i'll answer that by saying what what is going to be my favorite language model you know gpt5 was released in march i believe of last year and I think ChatGPT, it's the most popular, it's most one-sided, mm -hmm. but it is it probably is arguably the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, my clients that I work with are leery of it because they're worried about putting their data, data. on it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they're looking for, and there's a handful of them, and I won't be able to like name off the top five, but there's a handful of them that keep your data private. Mm -hmm. Um and so they're trained on public data, but, but right. that portion they keep private. Um, so there's a lot of hesitation for my clients to, yeah. to do industrial work sure. with chat GPT, but for, for my own just purposes <clears throat> of just goofing around or if I want to like write some code, yeah. uh, I asked chat GPT to write a solution to the quadratic equation. Yeah. And it did it there very it well. Yep. Uh, great for that. So it's probably the one I use the most. All right. Last one. Bold prediction time. How far away are we from AGI? Well, lots of really smart people are working on that and there's lots of funding going into yeah. it. So given that, I think we're, we're less than 10 years away from practical applications of AGI. Yeah. Meaning that somebody will come up with a platform right. that does AGI like things about 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you were talking about the example you were using, i saw a very similar video where they put these two little you know robots little tiny ones in a little pen basically with a soccer ball and two soccer goals and then they just showed them videos of soccer games and like that's what the training model was was just this video of kids or whatever playing soccer and it i don't know how many weeks it took but sure enough one of them finally scored a goal right and like and then they get they keep learning yeah right? and you figure oh they play defense, scoring, right? scoring like, a goal is a good thing right, to do exactly. let me do more so, of that yeah it's it's wild that <clears throat> we already have that well i tell you an, a really interesting um application of of agi in that regard is uh, what google has done with the japanese game of go board okay. game you know it's it's actually very simple rules but but the unfolding of the game just like, like chess super, strategic, super right? complicated yeah. right there's so many different combinations <laughs> So the Japanese game of Go is about 5,000 years old. And there are people even today who are Go masters. So they start at a very young age and like all chess. they do every day, all their lives mm -hmm. is, ma is master the game of Go. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying here, but generally speaking, 
the object of the game is sort of, or the strategy is sort of capture the middle of the board. Okay. And if you can kind of capture the middle of the board, generally you're, you're in good shape. You're probably going to win. And um, so they, they built um, AlphaGo. I think they called it a, a synthetic system to play Go against Go master, human Go masters. And um, it started playing the conventional way and it lost. Played the conventional way and it lost again, lost again. Well, finally, it started playing around the edges of the board and it won, won against professional Go masters. Hmm. What's significant about that is it sort of invented new knowledge. Right. Um, a game that is 5,000 years old and nobody thought about, hey, well, let's play around the edges. Yeah. So I think that that teaches us something. That For teaches sure. us that there's new knowledge out there that we don't know about. <laughs> no, so so when we start to get into the, yeah. the era of AGI, 10 years away, um, we're going to create new knowledge, new knowledge yeah. about how to, how to drill wells yeah. and it's how to run them, everything. how to run fields. Right. We're, we're going to have brand new knowledge that never nobody ever uh, thought about. And that's, that's kind of what keeps me sort of engaged yeah. in this game because sure. it's just going to get more and more interesting and exciting as we go. Yeah. No, I, I think that's uh, like you said, the, the pendulum basically backing out Newton's second law, right? Like there is, I'm very, especially after the pandemic, I became uh very understanding of i feel like how much uh how overconfident the human race is and how much we know about pretty much anything and uh you know like even oil and gas right like we're doing all this from thousands of miles away and that's an incredible engineering feat but we don't know what the rock looks like 10 feet outside of that (laughs) it's kind of this weird we're doing it in spite of a lack of knowledge essentially right and so now we're going to have this opportunity where you know the computers are going to be able to see all these patterns that exist that there is literally not possible for a human to see right because it's so much data or it's so connected and intertwined that the human would never make those connections right and that's that's awesome right it's awesome from the you know all the benefits that can come from that medical like cancers all kinds of treatment all kinds of new stuff can come from that then it's also terrifying on the flip side where it's like okay well yeah all this stuff is open source so like that's the thing like with ai once you let the genie out like especially as open source it's yeah. out the bad and guys so are the bad guys of course are gonna do it right and and i i'm not uh worried too much about that because what i've seen is the answer to bad guys getting ai is more ai right sure give an example there's there the faa is sort of looking into this you know automated airplane so you you go onto a commercial air, airplane and there's no pilot it's right. being flown from the ground. Um, okay, so you have that. Uh, and naturally people come up with, well, what happens mm-hmm. if a bad guy, you know, hacks the pl- airplane and crashes it somewhere? Well, what they've come up with, which I think is is pretty brilliant, is there's there's not one synthetic pilot on board. There's nine. And if one of them goes rogue or gets compromised, it, it essentially gets outvoted okay. by the other eight. Ah. Consensus. So yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I'm a Bitcoin bull. The, it makes so much sense when you look at any kind of decision like that, right? right? Generally speaking. That's right. So, so there, there are answers to these questions. So some people who should probably know better are saying, well, well let's, let's pause on AI because we have these sort of fears there. And I, I don't think that's, that's the right way to go. Yeah. I think we should um, keep going on AI 
and develop these intelligent countermeasures yeah. using AI. Yeah. That's right. that's the right well, way. You know to the do concerns, that. right? Like it's not like you're just going in blank. You've got it's just like any other science thing, right? You've got your hypotheses. Let's go test them. Let's build it with those things that we know to be exactly. risks in mind, and then let's make it flexible enough so that as new things pop up, we can also fix those, right? It's uh yeah, no, it's fascinating. Even like I'm mostly worried on the hacking side around like quant and the actual compute power, right? Like you're talking about the 13 factorial, right? Like that's why all the new passwords are 11 because 11 factorial is a shit ton of things yeah. to try and right. figure out the perfect combination to. And so it's like, you know, that's a, uh, but now you throw a quant computer at it potentially. And it's like, even with all the crypto stuff, right? Like, yeah, that's super secure without quants, but apparently a quant could break that very quickly. Yeah. But then of course, how, Anyway, that's a whole nother. <laughs> There's whole lots other of challenges in quant computing. So I'm I'm a little skeptical that it's gonna come through as quickly Just as a lot quick, of people are yeah. saying, but it's still a legitimate yeah. thing to talk yeah, about. Yeah, you know, down the road it's going to be viable probably yep. at some point. At some yep. point. Yeah, as with all tech. Well, George, this was a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. How can uh where do people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Well, uh they can certainly uh read my books <clears throat> that I mentioned earlier. They can come to our website which is www.business-laboratory.com. Uh, they're welcome to reach out to me, george.danner at business-laboratory.com. I'm happy to, I, people write to me all, all the time about interesting topics. I'm happy to engage with your audience yeah. about any of this. I, I love talking to people. Most active on like LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? <clears throat> LinkedIn, probably okay. the most. Yeah, cool for sure. George, we appreciate it. Check out George's book. I've got a copy actually uh, on my bookshelf in my desk or in my office from when it came out. Um, appreciate you uh, coming. Everybody check out George. Thank you. Guys, thanks for uh, for watching. Um, just a couple of quick updates. We've got Empower coming up, or no, we've got Energy Tech Night coming up at the end of this month in February. Uh, this one is in Midland. If you're out there and going to be in town, make sure you uh, check that out and get some tickets. Um, we also have Empower coming up at the end of March. That's our energy Bitcoin mining conference. Um, it's looking really, really good and exciting. And uh, if you guys are interested, make sure you uh, check that out as well. Otherwise, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming again today, George. Thanks, Bobby. We'll see you all next time. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.